Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is April 17th, and this is episode 360. My name is Jake English. And I am Ryan Blake. That's right. Scott Magnus is on international assignment. And in the meantime, Ryan and I will carry on with the week that was in Orioles baseball. And we'll also see how much or how little we need to freak out this early in the season. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Ryan, come play our reindeer games. What is your drink of the week? Well, Jake, first, I want to thank you for inviting me on to be your guest host as Scott is out on his international assignment. I have been twice tasked with coming up with a drink of the week, and twice I have been made fun of relentlessly for it. The first time it was Angry Balls, which was the Angry Orchard with a shot of Fireball. I still think that's a great drink. And then the second time around, it was Modelo, because I thought that was some type of Mexican beer that you couldn't get at any beer store in the United States. And so I was proud of that and then made fun of. I'm going for a, a third time, Jake. And my drink this week, I was at Wegmans the other night. And you know those drink containers that you'll see in like a hotel lobby or at an outside party that you fill up and you, you put different stuff in it and you make, it, you make a cocktail or a drink of some sort? I purchased one of those and my friend tried to convince me it was a bad purchase. But joke's on him because I am sipping on water infused with oranges, blackberries, and ginger. And it is delightful. And so that, Jake, is my drink of the week. And third time's a charm. You'll get no judgment here from me. You'll especially get no judgment here from me because my drink of the week is a delightful Michelob Ultra in a pint can. Uh, Oh boy, what a beer. Look, I'm not saying that it's Scotty that's the beer snob because no, that's not fair to lob just at him. I'm just saying that maybe when he's away, our standards slip a little. That's all. Perhaps, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a, an old classic. Nick Ultra's a classic. So if you're interested to see what we are doing to get ourselves through baseball games, come join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. Scotty's at MAGN8606. Can we stalk you on the internet of drinking, Ryan Blake? Not on the internet of drinking. You can stalk me elsewhere. Okay. Okay. Well, I will tell you that the bushes outside of your house are very comfortable. Thank you very much. You bet. With that, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and see our friends in the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heart, they fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you giggle. All right, Ryan, I think for the medical wing, the biggest news, the the one that's most consequential we should talk about is probably Ramon Urias. He was hit in the head. It may have caught a little bit of the shoulder before getting him, but he is out with a head contusion and in concussion protocol. The last I saw was that he had a bruise behind his left ear and and still had some swelling day to day. And in the meantime, the team is working with a 25-man roster. Let me ask you this. Did you pee yourself anywhere near as much as I did? when you saw that happen and Ramon go down? It's always terrifying. Uh, it was fortunate that it got him in the helmet and not in the side of the face. Yeah, I think he had the little flap to protect him as well. But yeah, it's, it's a terrifying thing to see on the baseball field. He was down, wasn't moving for a second. I think just kind of trying to get over the shock of what had just occurred. But fortunately, it doesn't seem to be anything too serious. 
there was a, a bit of a concern, and that's why I think the Tides pulled Joey Ortiz out of their lineup the other night as a precaution, just in case the Orioles did need to bring somebody up. But I think if Arias was going to go on the seven-day concussion IL, he would have done so by now. I think it's just a matter of days before we see him back. Sure. They must have done the the math and figured that putting him on the IL would have been longer than whatever they were willing to do day to day. Right. All right. So hopefully we'll see him back and better than ever. Kyle Bradish recovering from also being hit by a ball, but from the other direction, he seems to be approaching ready. He threw 83 pitches in a rehab start on Friday, and this is certainly a rotation that could use a shot in the arm. I was actually there on Friday. I saw him make his rehab start, and he looked sharp. He gave up a three-run home run to Aaron Bracho of the Cleveland Guardians farm system, and he's a good player. He ended up hitting another off of a Bowie Bay Sox reliever that night, so nothing too concerning with Bradish. It's good that he was able to get up to 83 pitches in that rehab outing. I believe it was five innings that he completed, but he looked good. The velocity seemed to be there. The mechanics seemed to be intact. Nothing, nothing too concerning there, and I, I believe we'll see him start in D.C. on Wednesday. Delightful, delightful. A little less, we'll call it immediate, is Dylan Tate, who is still down with a forearm injury. I say week after week. I'll believe it when I see it as far as his return. Maybe it's being shell-shocked with former Orioles injuries, but until I see him throw, I'm not going to be convinced that he doesn't you know, need more time. Right. I. I... I think I'm at the point with Tate where it's just kind of a wait and see thing. Wait until he is throwing a side session that is publicly that the reporters are telling us about. Wait until he is actually put on a rehab assignment. I don't know how long it's going to be with Tate. It could be another week. It could be another three months. I genuinely have no idea. So as far as Dylan Tate is concerned, we're in Missouri, which is, of course, the show me state. And lastly, we've got Michael Givens down with the knee. He threw a bullpen session on Thursday. And I I mean, he has to be nearing a rehab appearance at this point, right? I would think so. Uh, It it wasn't supposed to be a long issue for Givens. And yet here we are approaching late April and haven't seen him pitch in the bigs yet. So hopefully he is on the up and up and will be back soon. The bullpen desperately needs it. Yeah. And that's what makes me think that it's actual injury and not just playing the game, right? Because he is desperately needed. I hope to to see him in Aberdeen, uh, but if not, then I'm gonna you know put you on assignment for for going to see him and Bowie and let me know. We'll, we'll need a another in person scouting report to see how he looks. It was in fact a Bowie Wegmans at which I purchased my new drink machine. There you go. There you go. I might have to take a trip back to return it. So if Givens is a Bowie, we'll see. Full circle. Full circle. From here on out, we're going to go ahead and check to see what happened this week in Orioles baseball, 280 characters at a time. That's right. It's this week on the Twitters. And Ryan, I I want you to take this away. Have we seen dad? Ryan Ripken saw dad. He he saw a poster of one of those old milk advertisements as he was walking down the street. I assume somewhere in Baltimore. I don't know that for certain. I don't know where the picture was taken, but he posted that image with the simple caption, dad, question mark. And of course, got a response from his father. It's got to be so weird, you know, seeing your dad everywhere, especially in this town, right? Right, of course. You'd think he'd be used to it by now, but it's, it's. I will say about Ryan Ripken, it's so nice to see him so actively engaged in the Orioles Twitter sphere and doing all the things that he's doing in the media. It's, it's cool to have him emerge as a personality the way he has over the past few months. 
Well, I'll say two things about that. The first thing is one of the things that I find really refreshing about him is that he seems to be very true and honest to himself, right? This is, he's not putting on airs. There's no personality there, right? He's very authentic, which I really appreciate. And the second thing is that, you know, he retired from baseball. And so now he's just taking on the next step. And, you know, he came on pretty strong, but not in a way that rubbed people the wrong way either. And I think that would have been easy for him to do. Uh, so I, I think it is fun that he is who he is and doing what he's doing. And, and again, doing it in a way that is natural in the Orioles uh, and Baltimore sports scene. It's it's a good look. It is. And it's it's been a pretty seamless transition from his playing career to his post-playing career. Paul and I had him on our show a couple months back, and he was delightful to talk to. And I enjoy what he brings to the table and what he contributes to the Orioles world. Here, here. All right, next we're going to look at a tweet from Matt Taylor, who of course tweets at Roar from 34. Competing emotions, he tweets. I love seeing Big Felix jumping up and down at home plate for Adley. I immediately fear the Big Felix will get hurt. Look, Matt, I was not afraid of that before you put it out into the universe, but now I'm terrified. So Matt Taylor, Roar from 34, you keep your big, fat emotions to yourself. <laughs> there is a lot of weight on those legs of Bautista's, but there is also a lot of leg to support that weight. See, I, I, I think you're talking about the size of the man, but he also has the weight of all of our hopes and dreams on his shoulders, uh, especially with so much of the bullpen also not being so effective. He just carries all that extra weight right now. And you see someone like Edwin Diaz get hurt celebrating at the World Baseball Classic, and it's hard not to think, what if that was our own guy? And so, yeah, it's it's not something that you think about until you see it happening. And it's, oh, goodness, please don't land awkwardly on that foot. I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing it, to be honest. I have a hard time envisioning it. I mean, that would that would require that I be in a space where I could imagine the Baltimore Orioles playing a game that was meaningful, where a celebration would be necessary. No, I just it just doesn't seem right. Not quite in that space yet. Cease and desist. Mass and Orioles the other night, the White Sox had a 4 nothing lead. It has ceased to be. Dylan Cease, of course, the starting pitcher for the Chicago White Sox in Sunday's game, gave up the lead in uh, the sixth inning, couldn't quite get the quality start. Cease and desist. Listen, I'm an old man. I'm going to acknowledge it. I mean, at this point, Scotty and I are, are becoming you know, the, the oldest internet or internet users ever. But I really enjoy what the Orioles and Masson's social team has been up to this year. They've they've been really fun to to engage with, and uh, that will that will really serve the team well as they continue to improve. Olivia is gone, and yet the puns are still in full swing. I like to think that Olivia uh, set the pun trajectory in the right direction. I think she did too. I think she's left behind an exciting legacy for next in line on the Mass and Orioles Twitter. All right. Lastly, we have a tweet from Nathan Ruiz, who tweets at Nathan S. Ruiz. From the Mass and Broadcast, the Orioles sprinkler and spray double celebration in all its glory. And of course, this is a video of the Orioles, both on base and in the bullpen or in the dugout, celebrating with uh, a sprinkler dance move in, in place of the, the old Call of Duty goggles. But I, I really like the the fountains of of COVID, really, that that they've added to the, <laughs> they've added to the uh, proceed. This is a fun team. 
This is a fun team. They're having fun. I like fun. I'm, I'm a big fan of fun. I love fun. And when the rest of baseball Twitter is talking about how fun the Orioles are when they see celebrations like this, it's, it's a heartwarming feeling. And these guys are out there having a good time. It's, it's the pitchers on the bench who are blowing the COVID out, if, if that's how you like to put it. Uh, but, and they're, they're not having great seasons, and yet they're still having fun because they're seeing their teammates perform well, and it's exciting. So I love it. And speaking of the sprinkler celebration, Jake, I wanted to acknowledge the Orioles fan in Chicago this weekend who has seemingly gone viral just absolutely getting into the sprinkler celebration behind the Orioles dugout in Chicago. He left nothing to be desired. He was going all out. He was yelling at the top of his lungs, it appeared. And the form was impeccable. And so I, I wanted to give that fan a shout yeah. out. Yeah, you need to give that fan a contract, really, is what it is. It's a dance contract. Be there for all games. Be prepared to celebrate. I like it. Move over, fired up guy. That's right. All right, that is Orioles baseball at 280 characters or fewer. We're going to take a quick break and come back and go around the bases. All right, Ryan, around the bases, let's do this thing. Let's start where one must at first base. And I want to talk about the pitching. We we prepped it. We've chatted about it a little bit. But let's call a thing a thing. Pitching has not been impressive so far in 2023. And we're going to talk about this exhaustively, I'm sure. But let, let's just not bury the lead. I'm going to ask you directly. Do you think that this is a real problem, a real season-long concern, or do you think that we're seeing a weird period at the beginning of the 2023 campaign? I think it is a season-long concern. I don't, however, think it's going to be this bad for that long. The Orioles rotation currently has two regular starters, and I'm not including Bradish in this because he's thrown an inning in two-thirds. Two of their starters have an ERA under 6.9. That is bad. That is unsustainable, no matter how bad it is. The bullpen leaves a bit to be desired. We've talked about how much it hurts that Dylan Tate and Michael Gibbons are on the shelf. CNL Perez has given up 14 hits, sorry, 16 hits in seven and two thirds innings. Austin Voth has given up five home runs in nine innings. And the rest of the guys haven't been that great. There are a couple that I'd like to acknowledge a little bit later, but I don't think it's going to be this bad for so long, but I do think it's a legitimate worry. The Orioles did not do much to address the pitching staff, they let go of Jordan Lyles and got a new Jordan Lyles, who might be a little better Jordan Lyles, but he's also another Jordan Lyles. And then they traded for Cole Irvin, who's been so bad he was sent down to AAA. Are you telling me that that they did not properly prepare for liftoff? They they forgot to gas up. In more in more than one way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But okay, now that you've uh, now that you've provided that beautiful segue, let's let's talk a little bit more specifically about the starting rotation. Cole Irvin was sent to the minors. He, he, look, he's either going to figure it out at the minor league level or it's going to turn out that he was going to be a waste of a signing. I cannot imagine for a moment that he is going to be as bad as we saw him. 
right? The real question becomes how close to the guy that got signed by the Orioles after putting up a decent season or two out there in Oakland are we going to see? I wonder how far he's he's going to regress and or how close he might bounce back to what he was. Because he wasn't incredible, right? But he wasn't this by any stretch of the imagination. No, he was certainly serviceable. He threw around 180 innings each of the past two seasons, ERAs of 424 and 398. So not exceptional, but certainly someone deserving of a rotation spot and someone for whom I was fine trading a guy like Daryl Hernandez, who is probably the 10th infielder in the Orioles prospect list. And so it was a risk I was certainly happy to take, but he doesn't miss a ton of bats. And when that's the case, and you're playing in a division like the American League East, it's not going to be easy to find a ton of success. He was out in the AL West, wasn't facing the best of competition, and now he's in the toughest division in baseball. And so something has to click. I will say about Irvin, he does seem very aware of his abilities and aware of what is going wrong. And hopefully... Fingers crossed that it's just something, some kind of minor tweak to be done at AAA before he comes back and pitches closer to who we saw in Oakland. Okay. Next, let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez. I, I would say that Grayson Rodriguez is making progress, right? Settling in after some rough starts in the game. Rough first inning, comes back and lights out. He's not pitching as deep into games because he's having those, those rough starts to the game. But to be honest with you, I think this is the process that rookies are supposed to go through, right? Grayson Rodriguez, we hope, is going to be real major league talent. And right now he's facing guys that he suddenly can't get away with missing spots, can't get away with the fastball in some, some counts that he could just blow by minor leaguers. And instead of just getting shellacked, he's making adjustments in game. At this point, he just needs to make the adjustments to the point where he doesn't get to those rough starts. If only he could make the adjustments pre-game. Uh, but he, no, he, I think Grayson, honestly, I think he has been very good. That might be a hot take. He has a 691 ERA. But I think all things considered, considering his age, his inexperience, I think he has been good. He has a 34% strikeout rate after the first inning. He's been hurt by two strike hits that haven't been hit exceptionally hard. I think he's going to be just fine. He leads Oriole starters in fielding independent pitching with a 395 mark. And it's just growing pains for me, Jake. I think he's going to be just fine. I think he needs to stay up in the major leagues unless he proves that he can't handle it. But please, my one request, Grayson, just stop walking the leadoff batter of every game. It's driving me crazy. If that settles down and he's able to get out of the first inning unscathed, He's going to be just fine. Okay. Elsewhere in the starting rotation, Scotty and I have talked about this ad nauseum, and I don't want uh, listeners to turn the podcast off, so I don't want to go too deep. But I do want your opinion now that you're here. This is, after all, what we pay you that big money for. Tyler Wells, are you a fan of the Tyler Wells starting pitching experience? And if not, do you think him moving to the pen strengthens a pen that's in desperate need of reliable arms? I would be more receptive to Tyler Wells as a starter if Austin Voth hasn't been terrible in what would otherwise likely be the Tyler Wells role out of the bullpen. I think that Kyle Bradish is coming back. I, I like Tyler Wells. I really do. He had a ton of success for the Orioles out of the bullpen in his Rule 5 season. 
I think that's where he belongs personally. I think he's an exceptional long man. We saw that in the Braddish injury game in Texas. Five no-hit innings. I, I like him out of the bullpen personally. But, I mean, the, the Orioles pitching staff needs help all over the place right now. And so I'm fine kind of seeing how the next couple weeks develop as Braddish comes back and maybe Irvin pitches well in AAA and warrants a call back up. We'll see how it shakes out. The thing I think is crazy about the Tyler Wells situation is that his fate seems to be less about his performance and more about the gaping holes elsewhere in the roster. Is he a reliever? Is he a starter? I don't know. Which do we need more? The failures of his teammates are going to dictate his future <laughs> uh, this season, more so than his ability to pitch on or off the starting staff. And that's a tough role to be in as a pitcher. You, you like to be on a more specific schedule where you can know this is the day I'm going to pitch. This is how long they want me to go. He's kind of in limbo in that regard. But he has been very receptive to it to this point. He seems like a great personality. His interviews are always enjoyable. And so I think he's content with it. But I think if the Orioles were to say, all right, you're going to be our long man or you are going to be our fifth starter for the next month. I think that would help. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about the bullpen. And as we do, perhaps we should pass the Pepto. But I, I want to start with a different story. And that is this. I think that Cano has been an incredibly pleasant surprise. He came up and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I rolled my eyes when I saw like, really? Again? He's been lights out and he's been great. And it reminds me very much of the Dan Duquette era where the Orioles seemed to find fringe pitchers who were the most effective pitchers in baseball for like two weeks, like the Chaz Rowe experience, if you will. You know, he came in, he was untouchable, and then, you know, he was gone. I'm hoping that Cano comes back because he's clear to be sent down because of roster crunch when other folks arrive. But I hope he comes back and continues to be a very effective arm in the bullpen as he has been in this short stint. Two and two-thirds innings for him, three strikeouts, not a base runner. And that stare down of Eloy Jimenez after the strikeout was was pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, he's been great. He was the, I guess you'd call him the focal point of the Jorge Lopez trade, if for no reason other than he was the major league ready guy. I understand that Cade Povich is probably the crown jewel of that deal. With that being said, Cano is a guy you would like to be able to slot in the bullpen and expect to produce. And so far, he has done that. I think he is more deserving of an extended look than some of these other guys are. But it's, in any event, it's nice to see him perform well, even if it's just a small sample size. I have this vision in my head of a future in which the Orioles have just the tallest, most intimidating back end of the bullpen, in which you have, you know, Cano, who's not a small man. And then you have Felix Bautista, who again, not a small man. I think the Orioles just need to amass the most massive relievers they can and and try to intimidate teams. I, I, I would watch that. Tyler Wells is 6'7". Throw him back there too. There you go. Absolutely. That's okay, but maybe not the entirety of the story when it comes to the bullpen. Where do we want to start? I actually, actually, I want to talk about Perez. Cino Perez, I feel like might not be as lights out as he was last year. That's going to be tough to ever repeat. But I don't think he's going to be as bad as what we've seen recently. I expect Sinel Perez to be a dependable, high-leverage reliever in 2023. 
it certainly doesn't help his case that he has been this bad to start the season while the Orioles are missing two of their other projected back-end arms. But Perez was, I guess, for lack of a better term, he was a revelation last year pitching to, I'm trying to pull up the numbers now, I believe it was a 140 ERA last season in 57 and two-thirds innings pitched. Did, however, have a whip of 116. So gave up his fair share of base runners. This year, I mentioned a couple minutes ago, 16 hits allowed in seven and two-thirds innings. Add a walk into that as well. You'd like him to be a little more lights out. I'm sorry, three walks. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to be as dominant as he was last year. Like you said, Jake, that was pretty unsustainable when you look at his stats beyond the surface numbers. But you expect him to be a good arm for you out of the bullpen, if not great. And so a lefty who throws 100 is hard to come by. And so I think he's going to get his... He's not at risk of losing his spot due to his rough start, but he will need to turn it around shortly. Somebody who I, I don't think is is going to divide many conversations is Austin Voth. I think this guy has outworn his welcome as an Oriole, and the leash has to be getting shorter. Something clicked for him last year. He came over from the Nationals and was maybe the Orioles' best starter down the stretch. And that's that's putting him with the likes of Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish. He was very good last year. This year, I understand his eighth inning on Sunday was very good, a scoreless inning, no base runners, two strikeouts, which helped us bridge the gap to get to Felix. Albeit it was a managerial decision we weren't too fond of, but Hyde wasn't working with much in the bullpen in terms of availability that day. He's been bad. Until his last outing, he gave up a home run, at least one home run in every appearance. He's not giving you the length that you would expect from him. He's out of options, so I don't think the Orioles are going to cut ties with him just yet. But if he doesn't improve significantly by the end of this month, I think he's a DFA candidate. I agree. And the thing about Austin Both is that with so many other candidates that should be right over the horizon, this, is, this shouldn't be a team, the Orioles, that needs an Austin Both. You know, Deal Hall is knocking on the door. I hope that Cole Urban is going to be back in a more serviceable manner. Grayson Rodriguez is coming on. We've got a team that's going to have John Means later in the summer. Kyle Bradish is coming back, right? Hopefully some of these, if not all of these, are going to be meaningful moves or me meaningful additions to the Orioles. Uh, but we're not desperate in a way that we were maybe last year for a fifth starter. And if if this is going to be what Austin both brings, we, we don't have we don't have to wait. Yeah, there's no space for that when there are so many other options, like you said. And so he needs to get better. It's as simple as that. I'm happy to talk about any other reliever that's on your mind, but I do want to ask your opinion on somebody who I believe is becoming a bit of a lightning rod on the Orioles Twitter space, which is Brian Baker. I have to be honest, Brian Baker has somewhat won me over, and I'm going to pretend like it's not all about that fracas that he had with the Blue Jays with the, the talk to the hand motion. I, I'm going to pretend that's not what it was about. But I am really warming on Brian Baker. I want him to do well. I'm not sure that's the same, really, as him being effective in the bullpen, but I want him to be good. I think that Brian Baker's 
build the pitch arsenal that he brings and the space that he could he could take in a bullpen that has so many other guys in different roles i think could be useful let me ask you am i wish casting or is brian baker a guy who could do that are we well let, let me answer your question with a question are we still calling people dogs can I say that Brian Baker is a dog? You can, this, there are no rules here. Bird's eye view is listened to by no one, and you can say anything <laughs> you want. Because I think Brian Baker is a dog. He was, he, I, I guess the best word I could use to describe him other than dog is gritty. I think he brings a lot of emotion to the mound, a lot of fire. He throws the ball hard. He's not afraid to kind of wear his emotions on his sleeve. And you can make an argument that he was the Orioles' best reliever in the final months of last season. Had a 148 batting average against in September, 17 strikeouts and 58 plate appearances. He was great down the stretch last year. And I think he's more than deserving of his role. And that role right now is a mid to late inning, normally one inning kind of guy who's going to come in and try his damnedest to shut the opponents down. And he comes out onto the mound with such a want to and a need to shut them down, as I just said. And so, yeah, I, I like Brian Baker. I think a lot of Orioles fans who see one bad outing from him and call for his head, I think that's a pretty significant overreaction because Baker was great last year and he's off to a solid start this year as well. I have to tell you, I think that those reactions are ridiculous from Orioles fans until I make them, and then they are justified, <laughs> they are right, and they are good. Completely warranted. Well, we've been here loitering at first base for quite some time. Have I exhausted your ability to think about pitching, or is there anything I missed? Uh, there is one pitcher I want to acknowledge, but I will do that a little bit later when we do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ooh, spoiler alert. All right, in that case, let's saunter over to second base. And I have this question for you, and it cannot be answered with a question unless you ask a question right after I ask my question. And that is this. Is Jorge Mateo for real? Can I answer your question with one of my own tweets? Sure. Okay. Is it in the form of a question? It is not in the form of a question. We'll allow it anyway. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to read it word for word here. Jorge Mateo has put 547 balls in play since his major league debut in August 2020. And these are the hardest hit by exit velocity. 112.4 miles per hour. That one happened on Saturday. 111.3. That was in May of 2022. 111 miles per hour. That also happened on Saturday. 111 miles per hour happened on Sunday. 110.8. That happened on Wednesday. 109.6 has happened twice, August of 2022 and Thursday. Meaning, Jake, five of Jorge Mateo's seven hardest hit balls in his career have come in his past four starts. That's crazy. Sounds pretty good. That's absurd. It sounds, okay, someone quoted the tweet and said, uh, my boy on roids, question mark. Please, no. <laughs> Look, the issue that we have had with Jorge Mateo despite the speed and the defense, has been he doesn't get on base. Well, now he's getting on base, and he's doing it at an exceptional rate, and he's doing it with really hard contact. With authority, absolutely. With authority. I, I, I think he's for real, Jake. I really do. 
And that creates a problem for the Orioles because I think Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz are also for real. I think Connor Norby is for real. How absurd a lot of guys. is the Orioles infield of, of now and tomorrow? I, these are good problems to have, right? These are excellent problems to have. I, I wonder to myself, at what point is one of these guys that you just mentioned going to be dealt for a pitcher? Because, dear Lord, we need pitchers. But maybe Jorge Mateo is working himself into a situation in which the Orioles might trade him as a Westberg comes up and he would get a really nice return. Certainly way more than we thought when we picked him up. And I don't know about you, but it would be one of those deals where it would be absolutely bittersweet and you hate to see Jorge Mateo go, but you happy for him, you know, in his new situation. And if he brings back an important piece or is part of the package that brings back an important piece, you know, maybe it's the bridge to better days for the Orioles. I love everything Jorge Mateo is doing. I just, again, hope it's not the fan in me that's seeing this and thinking, of course, this is the way it's going to be from here on out. He is an absolutely electric player. The the one concern I have, if the Orioles were to sell high, Mm -hmm. it would be open season for that contingent of Orioles Twitter, and you know which contingent I'm talking about, to bring up how the Orioles and Mike Elias don't care about winning. I think selling high on Jorge Mateo could be a potentially great move. And even if Mateo turns out to be a great player, if they sell him at this kind of value, he is going to get a major league-ready, legitimate return, ideally starting pitching or bullpen help. But it, it, you know, we said it already. It creates a good problem for the Orioles. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to pretend to know what's going to happen. I don't even know what I want to happen. I'm just going to try to enjoy Jorge Mateo while he is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball and tearing around the base paths. Yeah, you said it You said it perfectly. He's electric. He's fun to watch. I'm glad that he is doing the things that it takes to keep him in the lineup day after day because it's more fun when he is. It absolutely is. He's He brings a ton to the table. I think he's like second in the American League in war right now. It's crazy. Jorge Mateo. Our Jorge, Jorge Mateo. Mateo is that doing Jorge that. Mateo. Our Jorge Mateo. Right is doing that. It's unbelievable. I like it. I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun. All right. Well, from your lips to the baseball God's ears, Jorge Mateo, Mateo is for real from here until forever. He's going to hit 381 all season. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Let's head on over to third base. And at third base, we're going to go from Baltimore down to Bowie. You keep bringing us back there. So let's talk about him. Heston Kerstad. He's so good. Heston Kerstad is really good. People forget he was the number two overall pick because he missed so much time and wasn't really kind of fell off the radar for people. He has five home runs in nine games to start the season at Bowie. He had a great spring. He was great down the stretch last year. He was great in the Arizona Fall League. I think he's too good for Bowie. And Paul said this on our show about a month ago. There's a chance that we see Heston Kerstad in Baltimore before we see Colton Kowser. I think Kerstad is that good, and he has shown that so far. I mean, 314 batting average at Bowie this year, 429 on base. He's slugging 800. He even has three steals, and you don't think of Kerstad as a speed guy. In fact, the last time he stole more than three bases in a season was in 2019 when he was at Arkansas. He stole five. Let me ask you this. 
Will we see Kerstad Baltimore before we see the return of Kyle Stowers? That I don't think will be the case. But you know what? It made me think about it. That's not a clear, that's not a cut and dry answer. There is a chance. There is a chance. The nice thing about Kerstad, I have to say that, you know, when we learned about his heart condition, it suddenly became less about, oh, you know, the Orioles may lose a player. We were really worried about this guy's health, right? And just just yes. being able to to be. <laughs> and the fact that he has been able to put that behind him and not only be healthy and comfortable and just live, that's that's phenomenal. That, that in itself would have been a great story. But the fact that he's been able to put his baseball career back together in such a fashion that here we are uh, just glowing about him and looking forward to seeing him in the majors. It's such a great story. So if you'll forgive me, heartwarming uh, to know where he's come from, to see where he's going. For me, I, I can't wait to see him as a major league player. It's the kind of story that, you know, baseball is a romantic game. Baseball is a game of narrative. What could be a better story to root for than a guy like this? It's nothing short of remarkable. You're you're happy not only for Heston Kerstad, the baseball player, but for Heston Kerstad, the person. And he's going to fly up prospect rankings throughout the course of the season. We'll see him maybe top 50 at the midseason update. I, I think I don't think that's too far-fetched at this point, especially if he continues hitting the ball the way he has at Bowie. But he's 24 years old, former number two overall pick. He could be on the fast track. We I, we might see him in September. I, I think the Orioles are doing the right thing with Kerstad, starting him in Bowie, but I think he's playing his way out of there fast. They also have the the strength of the rest of the system, including at the major league level, where they don't need to rush him, which is also a great position to be in. Right, and we're we're seeing that at more and more positions across the diamond now too. Yeah, we we're I mean we we're just talking about how stacked are they in the infield. If we're talking about we're going to see him in September. Even if we were to try to see him before then, you know, how would we even make room? Again, great problems to have. I would be content next season with an outfield of Stowers, Kowser, and Kerstad. I think that would be a good outfield. The problem for the Orioles is they have Mullins, Hayes, Santander, all already in the bigs, all already solidified themselves as major league regulars. Whoa, 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 whoa. How are you going to disrespect my guy, Ryan McKenna, like that. Well, I'm certainly not going to respect your guy, Ryan McKenna. <laughs> you are not alone, including myself. <laughs> but it's a point. It's a point well taken. It's a point well taken. We have an outfield of minor leaguers we would be thrilled to have. It, it would be great, except for that problem of the regular major league ready guys. The guys that are already yeah. there. Even Hudson Haskett. He's hitting the ball well at, at Norfolk. Listen, I'm not going to say I'm bitter about it, but I'm not sure that I'm ready to talk with you about outfield prospects for the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles organization. All right. It's just. Is that what did you guys in on podcast? I think, feed? I think that was the final question. And again, I'm not bitter. I'm not mad about the fact that we didn't win a single game. I'm not mad about the fact that some of the questions were questionable at best. <laughs> um, but I, I felt attacked. I felt a victim and frankly, I haven't been sleeping well. Well, I, I guess now that it's out there, I was kind of targeting you and Scott with my choice of questions. So 
I'm not I'm not going to apologize for it, but I will admit it. All right, I think we were uh, I think we were talking <laughs> about the Orioles before I had a moment there. We were at third base talking about Heston Kerstad, and now it's time to turn for home. And at home plate, I just want to say it's possible that everything is okay. It's possible that everything is okay. What do I mean by that? The Orioles have a winning record. The Orioles are playing, let me just check the count. It's April. And while we seem to have forgotten the fact that it's a long season, and we, myself included, are clamoring about the many, many, many woes of the Baltimore Orioles, things might just be okay. So let's let's break apart some of these things. Outside of the AL East, the team is winning series, maybe in painful, maybe ridiculous ways. But the Orioles are winning series when they're clearly not firing on all cylinders. And that's a good thing. They are. And they, they, let's see, have won. So they lost two of three in Boston. They should have won two of three against an opponent that you think you would want to, you think you would need to win that kind of series. And they would have, if not for a drop fly ball. They win a series in Texas, lose a series at home to the Yankees, which is fine. They took one of three. That's acceptable. And then you go on this road, or I'm sorry, they, they stay at home and take three out of four against an Oakland team that you need to win a series against. And then they go to Chicago and do the same, take two or three from the White Sox. They've got the Nationals, they've got the Tigers, and they've got the Red Sox again coming up. Those are series that you expect to win. Maybe not sweep. You'd like to come out with one or two of those, but that might be dreaming a little big. They are winning series, and they are doing it at times in dominating fashion. They came from behind on Sunday, down 4 nothing to the runner-up in American League Cy Young voting last year. They came back, tied the game against him, and then got to their bullpen. Ryan Mountcastle went out and had a 9-RBI game against the Athletics in what's one of the most exciting games I've been to, for sure. And you have to win these series against these bad teams, and the Orioles are doing that. And so, is everything okay? Yeah, I think everything's kind of dandy right now. Yeah, I, I find myself you know, having to remind myself that the ship isn't sinking. It's April. And, you know, you, you talked about Ryan McKenna. I, I would love to dive in a little deeper on some of the offensive things that we're seeing. We've talked about Mateo. We've talked, you know, Ryan McKenna, all, all of these individual players. But as a team, the Orioles are second, or at least they were a day or so ago. The Orioles were second in the league to the Rays and runs scored per game, right? We're Some of those games that we're losing that are 9-8, I feel like that's going to work its way out. The Orioles lead the league, or again, they did a day ago, in pitches per bat. I think it's 4.13 pitches per bat, which leads the league. These are the, the things that you like to see, right? It's not just the, the box score, but also some of the things that lead to the box score. Approaches at the plate, individual players being able to contribute at a high level, and not in a freakish way. Right. This is a team that really hasn't seen Gunnar Henderson show up yet. And yet we're managing to to put all these runs on the board. I think this team could be exciting. And if the pitching gets just a little bit and the hitting regresses just a little bit, it's going to be exciting to watch. I think you're still in good shape if that's the case. You mentioned we haven't really seen Gunnar heat up yet. We hadn't seen Cedric Mullins heat up until until Sunday. He had a three hit game driving in a few runs against the White Sox. Anthony Santander finally homered once, but he's been bad. There's, there's a lot that is going to even itself out over the next couple of weeks. 
And it's it seems like a complete shift in what you would expect from the Orioles. Leading the league in pitches per at-bat is a testament to guys like Adley Rutschman and even a struggling Gunnar Henderson, Taron Vavra, all taking pitches. Mullins had an exceptional take on a 3-2 slider from Dylan Cease the other day, which was a very borderline pitch and one that Cedric normally chases. He took it. I think he walked. I'm sorry if this is incorrect. I think he walked six times Hmm. in that series. And the Orioles walked 26 times in that three-game set against the White Sox. Hats it to Brett Hollander on Twitter for posting that. We're not used to that. It's a new approach, and it's an exciting one because having a good eye at the plate, being selective with your pitches, and drawing walks will win you baseball games. One of the things that I'm excited about is the fact that we seem to have a lot of talent at the major league level, but we're also getting important innings and production out of the Norfolk shuttle. Most recently, we were just talking about Cano and how exciting it was to see him come up and do that. Uh, Ryan O'Haran coming up and contributing at the major league level with important at-bats. I'm enthused that the Orioles can dig down and get talent like that when it's needed. It's these little things that are going right and building to a positive season. I, I think that you know myself, and I'm sure many other Orioles fans, we had such high expectations after last year, had such high expectations The season finally arrived after what was a disappointing offseason, but the season finally arrived. And after that first pitch was thrown, those expectations just went through the roof. And I think we have to remind ourselves that the team is going to struggle from time to time. All teams do. But in the grand scheme of things, this has been a pretty entertaining team to watch. And so far, somewhat successful and has every opportunity to improve over the next couple of weeks and months. Now, of course, it could go the other way, but things are things are pretty okay. You know, this time next week, if the Orioles, you know, split a series in DC, drop two or three to the Tigers, we're going to be having a completely different conversation. But there's no reason to assume that that's going to be the case. In fact, there's reason to assume that the opposite will happen. The Orioles might sweep both of those teams. It's fun and it's exciting. And we talk about the Norfolk Shuttle, and we haven't even mentioned the potential contributions of players like Spencer Watkins, who was called up when Keegan Aiken was placed on paternity, sent back down on Monday. Nick Vespi, who I believe still has not allowed an earned run at AAA since September of 2021. That's a long time ago. Joey Crable, who was optioned down to AAA to start the season. These are all guys who are potential, maybe not solutions, but crutches to what to, to the people who have been not great to begin this season. So there's a lot still on that Norfolk shuttle that could bring significant contributions in a positive way to the 2023 Baltimore Orioles. And I think as we're starting to see certain players' roles become a little more solidified, we'll start to see where they really need to improve and we'll see guys come up from Norfolk and make those contributions. Well, that is it. That is around the bases for this week and Orioles baseball. We're going to take a quick break and come back and see who won Fantasy Boss. What happened to the music? Isn't there supposed to be some kind of track there? Yeah, we we usually play music at the beginning of of Fantasy Boss. It's a good indication to see who won, who who lost. Uh, I, of course, have ridiculous music. Scott has ridiculous music. But in this case, I think it's a little more complicated than 
I would like to admit. Last week's category was this. Will the Dong Bong be gone by our next episode? And Scott said, you know what? I'm going to give you all the time in the world. I'll, I'll give you until I get back from Germany. And I said, no, that's ridiculous, Scott. I'm not going to take advantage of you. That's just wrong. But I don't know that I was correct. And here's why. I feel like I haven't seen the Dong Bong in a while. Have you seen the Dong Bong this week? I don't remember seeing it in Chicago. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that we may have a, a situation here where either it is no longer happening or it only happens at home. And so we have to wait for the Orioles to get back home to determine if the Dong Bong is still with us. Which, which would mean then, if it's true that the Dong Bong is only at home, then we will see it in D.C., this week because right? those are home games because those are home games I, I will say that i am uncomfortable i'm uncomfortable invading dc first you know i went to school in dc i have a, have a love for dc and a hatred for the sports but having been so uncomfortable with red sox and yankees fans in our stadium i don't want to be that fan base elsewhere i want to go i want to be present I want it to be comfortable, but I don't want to make DC fans uncomfortable in their own park, especially because they hate the Angelos family more than we do <laughs> because they, they feel right, wrong, or indifferent that they kept baseball out of DC for whatever, 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 whatever. So I, I feel you, I'm with you, but I, I do want to say that I think it's important that we as Orioles fans learn from the other side of that coin and and not try to make our our southerly neighbors uncomfortable. I do, however, want them to have very sad metro rides home. Yes. The the thing is, it's the intent is not to make them uncomfortable. The intent is not to be obnoxious if the Orioles are winning. The intent is not to rub anything in anybody's faces. For me, it's easy to get to. It's pretty local. It's not a long trip. And it's enjoyable. I like being able to see the Orioles on the road. And I think the difference between perhaps this, the enthusiastic sprinkler guy in Chicago, maybe he rubs some fans the wrong way. That is never my intent when I watch the Orioles on the road. But as someone who now lives in Rockville, which is closer to Nats Park than it is to Camden Yards, I can't miss out on the opportunity. And so I will, I will be there Wednesday. I might even go Tuesday. I haven't decided on that one yet, but I will definitely be there Wednesday. But we were talking about the dong bong. I think it's incomplete. I think I think the answer here is incomplete until the Orioles come home. And I don't I don't want to give this to Scott. I don't want to take this from Scott because remember, it's important to be fair when we're talking about fantasy ball. This this is important. These points matter. Uh, so I th I think we're we're in a situation where we have to punt if we're if we're going to take this sacred responsibility that is fantasy ball seriously. So I, I guess that explains why you didn't give anybody a win with your, your intro music to the segment. Yeah, it could be a situation where we only see it at home. They could have left it in the clubhouse, not taken it to Chicago. It was a short road trip. But perhaps our relentless branding of it as a dong bong kind of rubbed them the wrong way. And maybe they decided the team, not the players, but the team perhaps decided, all right, we're not going to lean into this. I, I think there's a reason why Kyle Gibson and Cedric Mullins and all those guys in their post-game interview the night it debuted 
came out and said it's a homer hose. I think the team told them to say that. Maybe we screwed up as fans. I I think Dong Bong is a perfect name for it. I am a thousand percent in on Dong Bong, but I do think that the team doesn't want us calling it that. And maybe this is our punishment. I don't want to repeat too much. Last week, Scotty and I had a discussion on this. I have a great deal of empathy for people that are not a fan of the Dong Bong. I get it. I totally understand. As a grown adult myself, I think it's hysterical. I think as a organization of Major League Baseball that wants to be family friendly, that wants to have a certain image, that wants to be able to print money, the Dong Bong is not conducive to that. And and I get I get that. However, Fantasy Boss is a push this week. I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you to select the stat in Scott's stead. Each of us will go ahead and select a, a player. And then you are basically picking for Scotty. If you click, those points will go to Scott. All right. Well, my category for Fantasy Boss this week, we've talked about Jorge Mateo and how he has been absolutely smoking the ball hitting career highs or coming close to it in exit velocity a lot over the past week. My question for this week's fantasy boss, which player and we'll we'll each pick one will have more 100.0 plus mile per hour batted balls by the next recording of the bird's eye view podcast. And I, I specify 100.0 plus because 99.7 doesn't count. Okay. This is this is hard for me, and the reason for this is that I usually dominate in Fantasy Boss, and I'm down 2-0 early, and I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to feel the pressure. I feel like two things can happen. Either I can go with chalk and have a conservative possibility to win, or I can go with my heart and pick something stupid, and that usually works out well for me. So I'm going to go with my heart, and I'm going to forget chalk. I'm actually going to go with Anthony Santander. You mentioned that he has been scuffling a bit. I think that he is going to come on. And one of two things is going to be the case. Either he is just going to come out gangbusters, he's going to be hitting the ball hard, or he's going to be hitting into a lot of hard outs. And eventually that will even itself out. So my pick for 100 plus mile per hour off the bat this week, Anthony Santander. Okay. So... That means I have to just so you you set the bar and then I pick a player that I think is going to be better yeah. than that. Okay. I was considering this player already, and I think it makes sense now that we both kind of go this route with players who are struggling and might break out. On behalf of Scott, I'm gonna take Gunnar Henderson. Oh, that is an excellent pick. I was gonna tell you that on behalf of Scott, you could have picked anyone. It could have been Ryan O'Hearn. It it could have been, you know, on behalf of Scott in Fantasy Boss, your options were endless and there was no wrong answer. I thought about taking Mike Bauman, (laughs) but I didn't want to sabotage Scott too much. No, I think think Gunner is due for a breakout. I don't think his struggles are going to last much longer. He's still drawing walks. He still has a three-something... 373, I think it is, on base percentage. Yeah, 373 on base, despite a 178 batting average. So I think the only risk with taking Gunner in this kind of competition is will he draw too many walks to qualify for the batted ball 
title. Yeah, I'd hate to see that but, happen. That'd be rough. Sorry. <laughs> I do think I do think that Gunner's going to break out and uh, have a strong week, and so I, I'll I'll take Gunner and and hopefully Scott improves to three and zero. There you go. The gauntlet has been thrown. Fantasy boss a a week a weak sauce tie, or at least punt this week. And next week, we'll we'll have a little bit more to sink our teeth into. We'll leave Fantasy Boss right there. We'll take a quick break, come back, and do the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ryan, you're filling in for Scott, so I'm going to give you the last word for good, bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started. My good for this week is Adley Rutschman. I'll tell you, I think that we're in danger of him being so consistently good that we forget to praise him. We haven't talked about him enough, certainly on this show. This last week, 194 weighted runs created plus with only a 5.7K percentage and a 452 Woba. Hadley Rushman has been so gosh darn impressive, and I'm delighted to see that his sophomore season is just continuing to tick up rather than to hit a bump. He's incredible to watch. So you, you won't take chalk in Fantasy Boss, but you will in the good, the bad, and the ugly. One thousand percent. I respect that. Adley Rushman is a, he, he's an MVP candidate. There's no other way to put it. He is that good. And hopefully he continues to be. He's the MVP of my heart. Mine too. My good, Jake, is Danny Coulom. You guys mentioned him on the show last week, how when he was acquired just before the season, just before the regular season, I should say, began, it was kind of like, why? What's what's the point in that? He's been really good. He's thrown six and two-thirds innings, given up just three hits, one earned run, which came in his most recent outing. 10 strikeouts. That's a 135 ERA, a 0.45 whip. Danny Coulomb has been an excellent, so far, addition to this Orioles bullpen. And Jake, I don't know if you were watching when they interviewed him, when Kevin Brown, and I think it was Ben, interviewed him in the bullpen. He's a great storyteller, a great interview. He told this story about his grandfather in World War II and how he was in a plane that I guess had been disemboweled in some manner, and a German pilot was instructed to take them down. And instead, this pilot redirected them back to Allied land, an act for which he would have been put to death at that point. And that his grandfather survived, and he found out after his grandfather passed away when the government came and told his grandmother after the last surviving member of that mission had passed. A phenomenal story. Wow. And one told by the newest Oriole, Danny Coulomb. Well, now I just want the Danny Coulomb podcast. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm ready for it. I think it's interesting that we were we we're thinking to ourselves like, why are they going out and acquiring this guy, not knowing that just a couple of weeks later we would be wondering why they didn't do more to bolster the bullpen. My bad for this week is going to go to Adam Frazier. I think Adam Frazier may have been my good last week. And that clearly was the kiss of death because he had a bit of a rough week in 
18 weighted runs created plus. He had a low K percentage, but other than that, he was just terrible. He did have a 200 BABIP, so I guess there's some of the luck dragon there, but yuck, not a good week at the plate. My bad, Jake, this week is Anthony Santander. To be honest with you, I didn't realize we were supposed to focus just on this week. It's kind of been a a season thing for me. Uh, Santander did finally homer, so maybe that's a good for this week. However, the bad is that his average has dropped to 193. On-base percentage is now sitting at 266. He hasn't gotten it going quite yet. He is chasing too many fastballs up in the zone. The scouting report seems to be out on him. I believe it was Ben McDonald on the, the broadcast who mentioned that. It hasn't been pretty for Santander, and I just I I want to say something not to pat myself on the back. I wrote an article last year that I thought Anthony Santander needed to be traded because of the outfield logjam and the other players who I believe are ready. Santander is struggling. Fans were annoyed that Kyle Stowers was not getting at bats, and now he's down in AAA. Again, I I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I like. Santander a lot I really do he's a fun player a great personality I might have been onto something the jury might be out the scouting report might be out on what Santander can't do at the plate and I think opposing pitchers are starting to exploit that yeah I I hope he figures it out soon that's all I can say embarrassingly Santander was my pick for MVO so he's not making me look very good thus far There's still time. The interesting thing about Santander that I try to remind myself is that this was a rule five guy. Look at how much expectation, look at how much pressure that we put on Anthony Santander, the the role that we as fans have put him in. This is a rule five guy. A way better rule five guy than, uh, dare I say, Ryan Flaherty. You shut your gaping (laughs) mouth. Do not besmirch the memory or the name of Ryan Flaherty. Not here, not now, not on this podcast, not ever. All right, I'll do it on my own show. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my ugly for this week is going to go to Cole Urban. We've talked a little bit about it before. Simply put, this is not what we signed up for. This was not what the Orioles were hoping for when they signed Cole Irvin. And when they did, I I was all about it. I thought this was a pretty good signing. You know, clearly not somebody that was going to impress, but would be at least a fifth starter on a rotation that I was hoping was going to be better, would take some pressure off at the back end, and boy, howdy, has he not. Cole Irvin, ugly this week. Ugly for me, Jake. Last year's ERA leaders among Orioles starting pitchers, Dean Kramer and Austin Voth, have both gotten off to, honestly, terrible starts to this season. Between the two of them, they have allowed 10 home runs. The rest of the team has allowed 12 in total. Dean Kramer with a 949 ERA, Austin Voth, 8.0. A ton of runs, a ton of home runs. Not for Voth, but for Kramer, a lot of walks and not enough strikeouts. Kramer is not a big miss-the-bat guy. Neither is Voth, if we're being honest. And they're starting to get hit really, really hard. Kramer looks like the pitcher he was in 2021 when he gave up far too many home runs, left too many pitches over the middle of the plate, 
and the rest were non-competitive. And Austin Voth looks like the guy he was with the Nationals before the Orioles claimed him off waivers last season. The ugly for me this week has been Kramer and Voth, who were exceptional for the Orioles last season, need badly to turn it around. Are you telling me there's a chance that the Orioles lost the Manny Machado trade? I think it's possible. I think the jury's still out a little bit. Machado hasn't won the National League MVP yet, so there is still a chance. Neither is Kramer, to be clear. I mean, you know. They have the same number of wins between them. All right, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll blow the save. All right, before we get out of here, it's about time in traditional bird's eye view fashion that we blow the save. Instead of something inane, instead of something that didn't fit elsewhere, instead of something awkward that Scott and I talk about back and forth, I think we need to talk about some of the important issues that are facing Birdland. And that is, how can one find a good podcast to listen to about the Baltimore Orioles? And I happen to be speaking with an expert on this particular topic. And so, Ryan, I, I was wondering if you could just fill us in a little bit on Give That Fan a Podcast and, and how listeners can find it and what they might find there. Well, you're too kind. Bird's Eye View is one of the shows from which I pull some of my inspiration. As a, a longtime Twitter friend and listener, uh, but you can find Give That Fan a podcast on utahstreetreport.com. That is where our episodes go with a little bit of a write-up. It'll have links to the audio and video versions of that podcast. We are on Twitter at Give That Fan a Pod. We are on YouTube at Give That Fan a Podcast. We are on Spotify, Apple, I believe just about anywhere you can listen to audio versions. We do stream our episodes live on Twitter, YouTube, and the Utah Street Report Facebook, which is Orioles 24-7. So there are a lot of places you can find us. It's myself, my co-host, Paul Valley, and uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. What can we hope to, to find on Give That Fan a Podcast? What, what makes that corner of the internet definitively yours and, and Paul's? Well, I, I guess my answer for that for now, because I, I struggle with this. I struggle with the idea that you can find Orioles talk anywhere. And I don't know what sets my show apart from the others in that regard. But this past offseason, we did Orioles podcast feud. You and allegedly, Scott were a part allegedly. Of that. Nobody needs to go find <laughs> out about that. They're out there somewhere. You don't need to go looking for them. However, this upcoming offseason, and I know it's way too early to be talking about this, we will be doing Orioles Jeopardy. In continuation of the game show theme, I am hoping to get as many people as possible into some kind of tournament of champions bracket, and they don't have to be podcast hosts. Orioles Podcast Feud was all other podcast hosts participating. This is anybody. I'm going to try to get my dad to do it. I'm going to try to get my uncle to do it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've already written up a bunch of questions. Paul and I teased a few of them in our most recent episode of Give That Fan a Podcast but I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to that. And I hope that despite your struggles with Orioles Podcast Feud, you and Scott would have an interest in returning for next year's Give That Fan a Podcast game show. Listen, 
You, I don't need an answer now. The internet's not going to embarrass itself without my help. So of course I'll be there. <laughs> well, looking forward to it. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review this show. The guys appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media all over the place. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. Jake, thank you again for having me. I truly do appreciate it. I had a blast. And uh, thank you for thinking of me to fill in for Scott while he's away. Always a pleasure, my friend. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.